Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Chapter 4 of The Path of Prosperity. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Andrea Fiore. The Path of Prosperity by James Allen. Chapter 4. The Silent Power of Thought controlling and directing one's forces. The most powerful forces in the universe are the silent forces, and in accordance with the intensity of its power does a force become beneficent when rightly directed and destructive when wrongly employed. This is a common knowledge in regard to the mechanical forces, such as steam, electricity, etc., but few have yet learned to apply this knowledge to the realm of mind, where the thought forces, most powerful of all, are continually being generated and sent forth as currents of salvation or destruction. At this stage of his evolution, man has entered into the possession of these forces, and the whole trend of his present advancement is their complete subjugation. All the wisdom possible to man on this material earth is to be found only in complete self-mastery, and the command, Love your enemies, resolves itself into an exultation to enter here and now into the possession of that sublime wisdom by taking hold of, mastering and transmuting those mind forces to which man is now slavishly subject and by which he is helplessly born like a straw on the stream, upon the currents of selfishness. The Hebrew prophets, with their perfect knowledge of the supreme law, always related outward events to inward thought, and associated national disaster or success with the thoughts and desires that dominated the nation at the time. The knowledge of the causal power of thought is the basis of all their prophecies, as it is the basis of all real wisdom and power. National events are simply the working out of the psychic forces of the nation. Wars, plagues, and famines are the meeting and clashing of wrongly directed thought forces, the culminating points at which destruction steps in as the agent of the law. It is foolish to ascribe war to the influence of one man or to one body of men. It is the crowning horror of national selfishness. It is the silent and conquering thought forces which bring all things into manifestation. The universe grew out of thought. Matter, in its last analysis, is found to be merely objectivized thought. All men's accomplishments were first wrought out in thought and then objectivized. The author, the inventor, the architect first builds up his work in thought and having perfected it in all its parts as a complete and harmonious whole upon the thought plane, he then commences to materialize it, to bring it down to the material or sense plane. When the thought forces are directed in harmony with the overruling law, they are upbuilding and preservative, but when subverted, they become disintegrating and self-destructive. To adjust all your thoughts to a perfect and unswerving faith in the omnipotence and supremacy of good is to cooperate with that good and to realize within yourself the solution and destruction of all evil believe and ye shall live and here we have the true meaning of salvation salvation from the darkness and negation of evil by entering into and realizing the living light of the eternal good where there is fear, worry, anxiety, doubt, trouble, chagrin, or disappointment, there is ignorance and lack of faith. All these conditions of mind are the direct outcome of selfishness and are based upon an inherent belief in the power and supremacy of evil. They therefore constitute practical atheism, 
and to live in and become subject to these negative and soul-destroying conditions of mind is the only real atheism it is salvation from such conditions that the race needs and let no man boast of salvation whilst he is their helpless and obedient slave to fear or to worry is as sinful as to curse for how can one fear or worry if he intrinsically believes in the eternal justice the omnipotent good the boundless love to fear to worry to doubt is to deny to disbelieve it is from such states of mind that all weakness and failure proceed for they represent the annulling and disintegrating of the positive thought forces which would otherwise speed to their object with power and bring about their own beneficent results to overcome these negative conditions is to enter into a life of power is to cease to be a slave and to become a master and there is only one way by which they can be overcome and that is by steady and persistent growth in inward knowledge to mentally deny evil is not sufficient it must by daily practice be risen above and understood to mentally affirm the good is inadequate it must by unswerving endeavor be entered into and comprehended the intelligent practice of self-control quickly leads to a knowledge of one's interior thought forces and later on to the acquisition of that power by which they are rightly employed and directed in the measure that you master self that you control your mental forces instead of being controlled by them in just such measure will you master affairs and outward circumstances show me a man under whose touch everything crumbles away and who cannot retain success even when it is placed in his hands and i will show you a man who dwells continually in those conditions of mind which are the very negation of power to be forever wallowing in the bogs of doubt to be drawn continually into the quicksands of fear or blown ceaselessly about by the winds of anxiety is to be a slave and to live the life of a slave even though success and influence be forever knocking at your door seeking for admittance such a man being without faith and without self-government is incapable of the right government of his affairs and is a slave to circumstances in reality a slave to himself such are taught by affliction and ultimately pass from weakness to strength by the stress of bitter experience faith and purpose constitute the motive power of life there is nothing that a strong faith and an unflinching purpose may not accomplish by the daily exercise of silent faith the thought forces are gathered together and by the daily strengthening of silent purpose those forces are directed toward the object of accomplishment whatever your position in life may be before you can hope to enter into any measure of success usefulness and power you must learn how to focus your thought forces by cultivating calmness and repose it may be that you are a businessman and you are suddenly confronted with some overwhelming difficulty or probable disaster you grow fearful and anxious and are at your wits end to persist in such a state of mind would be fatal for when anxiety steps in correct judgment passes out now if you will take advantage of a quiet hour or two in the early morning or at night and go away to some solitary spot or to some room in your house where you know you will be absolutely free from intrusion and having seated yourself in an easy attitude you forcibly direct your mind right away from the subject of anxiety by dwelling upon something in your life that is pleasing and bliss-giving a calm reposeful strength will gradually steal into your mind and your anxiety will pass away upon the instant that you find your mind reverting to the lower plane of worry bring it back again and re-establish it on the plane of peace and strength when this is fully accomplished you may then concentrate your whole mind upon the solution of your difficulty and what was intricate and insurmountable to you 
in your hour of anxiety will be made plain and easy, and you will see, with that clear vision and perfect judgment, which belong only to a calm and untroubled mind, the right course to pursue, and the proper end to be brought about. It may be that you will have to try day after day before you will be able to perfectly calm your mind, but if you persevere, you will certainly accomplish it, and the course which is presented to you in that hour of calmness must be carried out. Doubtless, when you are again involved in the business of the day, and worries again creep in, and begin to dominate you, you will begin to think that the course is a wrong or foolish one, but do not heed such suggestions. Be guided absolutely and entirely by the vision of calmness, and not by the shadows of anxiety. The hour of calmness is the hour of illumination and correct judgment. By such a course of mental discipline, the scattered thought forces are reunited and directed, like the rays of the searchlight, upon the problem at issue, with the result that it gives way before them. There is no difficulty, however great, but will yield before a calm and powerful concentration of thought, and no legitimate object but may be speedily actualized by the intelligent use and direction of one's soul forces. Not until you have gone deeply and searchingly into your inner nature and have overcome many enemies that lurk there can you have any approximate conception of the subtle power of thought, of its inseparable relation to outward and material things, or of its magical potency when rightly poised and directed, in readjusting and transforming the life conditions. Every thought you think is a force sent out, and in accordance with its nature and intensity, will go out to seek a lodgment in minds receptive to it, and will react upon yourself for good or evil. There is ceaseless reciprocity between mind and mind, and a continual interchange of thought forces. Selfish and disturbing thoughts are so many malignant and destructive forces, messengers of evil, sent out to stimulate and augment the evil in other minds, which in turn send them back upon you with added power. While thoughts that are calm, pure, and unselfish are so many angelic messengers sent out into the world with health, healing, and blessedness upon their wings, counteracting the evil forces, pouring the oil of joy upon the troubled waters of anxiety and sorrow, and restoring to broken hearts their heritage of immortality. Think good thoughts, and they will quickly become actualized in your outward life in the form of good conditions. Control your soul forces, and you will be able to shape your outward life as you will. The difference between a savior and a sinner is this, that the one has a perfect control of all the forces within him, the other is dominated and controlled by them. There is absolutely no other way to true power and abiding peace but by self-control, self-government, self-purification. To be at the mercy of your disposition is to be impotent, unhappy, and of little real use in the world. The conquest of your petty likes and dislikes, your capricious loves and hates, your fits of anger, suspicion, jealousy, and all the changing moods to which you are more or less helplessly subject, this is the task you have before you, if you would weave into the web of life the golden threads of happiness and prosperity. Insofar as you are enslaved by the changing moods within you, you will need to depend upon others and upon outward aids as you walk through life. If you would walk firmly and securely, and would accomplish any achievement, you must learn to rise above and control all such disturbing and retarding vibrations. You must daily practice the habit of putting your mind at rest, going into the silence, as it is commonly called. This is a method of replacing a troubled thought with one of peace, a thought of weakness, with one of strength. Until you succeed in doing this, you cannot hope to direct your mental forces upon the problems and pursuits of life, with any appreciable measure of success. 
It is a process of diverting one's scattered forces into one powerful channel. Just as a useless marsh may be converted into a field of corn or a fruitful garden by draining and directing the scattered and harmful streams into one well-cut channel, so he who acquires calmness and subdues and directs the thought currents within himself saves his soul and fructifies his heart and life. As you succeed in gaining mastery over your impulses and thoughts, you will begin to feel, growing up within you, a new and silent power, and a settled feeling of composure and strength will remain within you. Your latent powers will begin to unfold themselves, and whereas formerly your efforts were weak and ineffectual, you will now be able to work with that calm confidence which commands success. And along with this new power and strength, there will be awakened within you that interior illumination known as intuition, and you will walk no longer in darkness and speculation, but in light and certainty. With the development of this soul vision, judgment and mental penetration will be incalculably increased, and there will evolve within you that prophetic vision by the aid of which you will be able to sense coming events and to forecast, with remarkable accuracy, the result of your efforts. And in just the measure that you alter from within will your outlook upon life alter, and as you alter your mental attitude towards others, they will alter in their attitude and conduct towards you. As you rise above the lower, debilitating, and destructive thought forces, you will come in contact with the positive, strengthening, and upbuilding currents generated by strong, pure, and noble minds. Your happiness will be immeasurably intensified, and you will begin to realize the joy, strength, and power which are born only of self-mastery. And this joy, strength, and power will be continually radiating from you, and without any effort on your part. Nay, though you are utterly unconscious of it, strong people will be drawn towards you, influence will be put into your hands, and in accordance with your altered thought world will outward events shape themselves. A man's foes are they of his own household, and he who would be useful, strong, and happy must cease to be a passive receptacle for the negative, beggarly, and impure streams of thought, and as a wise householder commands his servants and invites his guests, so must he learn to command his desires, and to say, with authority, what thoughts he shall admit into the mansion of his soul. Even a very partial success in self-mastery adds greatly to one's power, and he who succeeds in perfecting this divine accomplishment enters into possession of undreamed of wisdom and inward strength and peace, and realizes that all the forces of the universe aid and protect his footsteps, who is master of his soul. Would you scale the highest heaven? Would you pierce the lowest hell? Live in dreams of constant beauty, or in basis thinkings dwell. For your thoughts are heaven above you, and your thoughts are hell below. Bliss is not except in thinking, torment not but thought can know. Worlds would vanish but for thinking, Glory is not but in dreams, and the drama of the ages from the thought eternal streams. Dignity and shame and sorrow, pain and anguish, love and hate, are but maskings of the mighty pulsing thought that governs fate. As the colors of the rainbow makes the one uncolored beam, so the universal changes make the one eternal dream. And the dream is all within you, and the dreamer waiteth long for the morning to awaken him to the living thought and strong that shall make the ideal real, make to vanish dreams of hell in the highest holiest heaven where the pure and perfect dwell. Evil is the thought that thinks it, good the thought that makes it so, light and darkness, sin and pureness, likewise out of thinking grow. Dwell in thought upon the grandest, and the grandest you shall see, 
fix your mind upon the highest, and the highest you shall be. End of chapter 4 Recording by Andrea Fiore Chapter 5 of The Path of Prosperity This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Andrea Fiore The Path of Prosperity by James Allen Chapter 5 The Secret of Health, Success, and Power We all remember with what intense delight, as children, we listened to the never-tiring fairy tale how eagerly we followed the fluctuating fortunes of the good boy or girl, ever protected in the hour of crisis from the evil machinations of the scheming witch, the cruel giant, or the wicked king. And our little hearts never faltered for the fate of the hero or heroine, nor did we doubt their ultimate triumph over all their enemies, for we knew that the fairies were infallible, and that they would never desert those who had consecrated themselves to the good and the true. And what unspeakable joy pulsated within us when the fairy queen, bringing all her magic to bear at the critical moment, scattered all the darkness and trouble, and granted them the complete satisfaction of all their hopes, and they were happily ever after. With the accumulating years and an ever-increasing intimacy with the so-called realities of life. Our beautiful fairy world became obliterated, and its wonderful inhabitants were relegated, in the archives of memory, to the shadowy and unreal. And we thought we were wise and strong, in thus leaving forever the land of childish dreams. But as we re-become little children in the wondrous world of wisdom, we shall return again to the inspiring dreams of childhood, and find that they are, after all, realities. The fairy folk, so small and nearly always invisible, yet possessed with an all-conquering and magical power, who bestow upon the good health, wealth, and happiness, along with all the gifts of nature in lavish profusion, start again into reality and become immortalized in the soul realm of him who by the growth in wisdom has entered into a knowledge of the power of thought, and the laws which govern the inner world of being. To him the fairies live again as thought people, thought messengers, thought powers working in harmony with the overruling good. And they who, day by day, endeavor to harmonize their hearts with the heart of the supreme good, do in reality acquire true health, wealth, and happiness. There is no protection to compare with goodness, and by goodness I do not mean a mere outward conformity to the rules of mortality. I mean pure thought, noble aspiration, unselfish love, and freedom from vainglory. To dwell continually in good thoughts is to throw around oneself a psychic atmosphere of sweetness and power, which leaves its impress upon all who come in contact with it. As the rising sun puts to rout the helpless shadows, so are all the impotent forces of evil put to flight by the searching rays of positive thought, which shine forth from a heart made strong in purity and faith. Where there is sterling faith and uncompromising purity, there is health, there is success, there is power. In such a one, disease, Failure and disaster can find no lodgment, for there is nothing on which they can feed. Even physical conditions are largely determined by mental states, and to this truth the scientific world is rapidly being drawn. The old materialistic belief that a man is what his body makes him is rapidly passing away, and is being replaced by the inspiring belief that man is superior to his body and that his body is what he makes it, by the power of thought. Men everywhere are ceasing to believe that a man is despairing because he is dyspeptic, and are coming to understand that he is dyspeptic because he is despairing, and in the near future, the fact that all disease has its origin in the mind will become common knowledge. 
There is no evil in the universe, but has its root and origin in the mind. And sin, sickness, sorrow, and affliction do not in reality belong to the universal order, are not inherent in the nature of things, but are the direct outcome of our ignorance of the right relation of things. According to tradition, there once lived, in India, a school of philosophers who led a life of such absolute purity and simplicity that they commonly reached the age of one hundred and fifty years, and to fall sick was looked upon by them as an unpardonable disgrace, for it was considered to indicate a violation of law. The sooner we realize and acknowledge that sickness, far from being the arbitrary visitation of an offended God, or the test of an unwise providence, is the result of our own error or sin, the sooner we shall enter upon the highway of health. Disease comes to those who attract it, to those whose minds and bodies are receptive to it, and flees from those whose strong, pure, and positive thought-sphere generates healing and life-giving currents. If you are given to anger, worry, jealousy, greed, or any other inharmonious state of mind, and expect perfect physical health, you are expecting the impossible, for you are continually sowing the seeds of disease in your mind. Such conditions of mind are carefully shunned by the wise man, for he knows them to be far more dangerous than a bad drain or an infected house. If you would be free from all physical aches and pains, and would enjoy perfect physical harmony, then put your mind in order and harmonize your thoughts. Think joyful thoughts, think loving thoughts. Let the elixir of good will course through your veins, and you will need no other medicine. Put away your jealousies, your suspicions, your worries, your hatreds, your selfish indulgences, and you will put away your dyspepsia, your biliousness, your nervousness and aching joints. If you will persist in clinging to these dehabilitating and demoralizing habits of mind, then do not claim when your body is laid low with sickness. The following story illustrates the close relation that exists between habits of mind and bodily conditions. A certain man was afflicted with a painful disease, and he tried one physician after another, but all to no purpose. He then visited towns which were famous for their curative waters, and after having bathed in them all, his disease was more painful than ever. One night he dreamed that a presence came to him and said, Brother, hast thou tried all the means of cure? And he replied, I have tried all. Nay, said the presence, come with me, and I will show thee a healing bath which has escaped thy notice. The afflicted man followed, and the presence led him to a clear pool of water, and said, Plunge thyself in this water, and thou shalt surely recover, and thereupon vanished. The man plunged into the water, and on coming out, lo, his disease had left him, and at the same moment he saw written above the pool the word, Renounce. Upon waking, the full meaning of his dream flashed across his mind, and looking within, he discovered that he had, all along, been a victim to a sinful indulgence, and he vowed that he would renounce it forever. He carried out his vow, and from that day his affliction began to leave him, and in a short time he was completely restored to health. Many people complain that they have broken down through overwork. In the majority of such cases, the breakdown is more frequently the result of foolishly wasted energy. If you would secure health, you must learn to work without friction. To become anxious or excited, or to worry over needless details, is to invite a breakdown. Work, whether of brain or body, is beneficial and health-giving, and the man who can work with a steady and calm persistency, freed from all anxiety and worry, and with his mind utterly oblivious to all but the work he has in hand, will not only accomplish far more than the man who is always hurried and anxious, but he will retain his health, a boon which the other quickly forfeits.
True health and true success go together, for they are inseparably intertwined in the thought realm. As mental harmony produces bodily health, so it also leads to a harmonious sequence in the actual working out of one's plans. Order your thoughts and you will order your life. Pour the oil of tranquility upon the turbulent waters of the passions and prejudices, and the tempests of misfortune, howsoever they may threaten, will be powerless to wreck the bark of your soul as it threads its way across the ocean of life. And if that bark be piloted by a cheerful and never-failing faith, its course will be doubly sure, and many perils will pass it by, which would otherwise attack it. By the power of faith every enduring work is accomplished. Faith in the supreme, faith in the overruling law, faith in your work, and in your power to accomplish that work. Here is the rock upon which you must build if you would achieve if you would stand and not fall. To follow, under all circumstances, the highest promptings within you, to be always true to the divine self, to rely upon the inward light, the inward voice, and to pursue your purpose with a fearless and restful heart, believing that the future will yield unto you the meat of every thought and effort, knowing that the laws of the universe can never fail, and that your own will come back to you with mathematical exactitude. This is faith, and the living of faith. By the power of such faith, the dark waters of uncertainty are divided. Every mountain of difficulty crumbles away, and the believing soul passes on unharmed. Strive, O reader, to acquire above everything the priceless possession of this dauntless faith, for it is the talesman of happiness of success, of peace, of power, of all that makes life great and superior to suffering. Build upon such a faith, and you build upon the rock of the eternal, and with the materials of the eternal, and the structure that you erect will never be dissolved, for it will transcend all the accumulations of material luxuries and riches, the end of which is dust. Whether you are hurled into the depths of sorrow or lifted upon the heights of joy, ever retain your hold upon this faith, ever return to it as your rock of refuge, and keep your feet firmly planted upon its immortal and immovable base. Centered in such a faith, you will become possessed of such a spiritual strength as will shatter, like so many toys of glass, all the forces of evil that are hurled against you and you will achieve a success such as the mere striver after worldly gain can never know or even dream of. If ye have faith and doubt not, ye shall not only do this, but if ye shall say unto this mountain, Be thou removed, and be thou cast into the sea, it shall be done. There are those today, men and women, tabernacled in flesh and blood, who have realized this faith, and who live in it day by day, and who, having put it to the uttermost test, have entered into the possession of its glory and peace. Such have sent out the word of command, and the mountains of sorrow and disappointment, of mental weariness and physical pain have passed from them, and have been cast into the sea of oblivion. If you would become possessed of this faith, you will not need to trouble about your success or failure, and success will come. You will not need to become anxious about results, but will work joyfully and peacefully, knowing that right thoughts and right efforts will inevitably bring about right results. I know a lady who has entered into many blissful satisfactions, and recently a friend remarked to her, Oh, how fortunate you are! You only have to wish for a thing, and it comes to you. And it did, indeed, appear so on the surface, but in reality all the blessedness that has entered into this woman's life is the direct outcome of the inward state of blessedness which she has, throughout life, been cultivating and training toward perfection. Mere wishing brings nothing but disappointment. It is living that tells. The foolish wish and grumble, the wise work and wait, and this woman had worked, worked without and within, 
but especially within, upon heart and soul, and with the invisible hands of the spirit she had built up with the precious stones of faith, hope, joy, devotion, and love, a fair temple of light, whose glorifying radiance was ever round about her. It beamed in her eye, it shone through her countenance, it vibrated in her voice, and all who came into her presence felt its captivating spell. And as with her, so with you. Your success, your failure, your influence, your whole life you carry about with you, for your dominant trends of thought are the determining factors in your destiny. Send forth loving, stainless, and happy thoughts, and blessings will fall into your hands, and your table will be spread with the cloth of peace. Send forth hateful, impure, and unhappy thoughts, and curses will rain down upon you, and fear and unrest will wait upon your pillow. You are the unconditional maker of your fate, be that fate what it may. Every moment you are sending forth from you the influences which will make or mar your life. Let your heart grow large and loving and unselfish, and great and lasting will be your influence and success, even though you make little money. Confine it within the narrow limits of self-interest, and even though you become a millionaire, your influence and success, at the final reckoning, will be found to be utterly insignificant. Cultivate then this pure and unselfish spirit, and combine with purity and faith, singleness of purpose, and you are evolving from within the elements, not only of abounding health and enduring success, but of greatness and power. If your present position is distasteful to you, and your heart is not in your work, nevertheless perform your duties with scrupulous diligence, and whilst resting your mind in the idea that a better position and greater opportunities are waiting for you, ever keep an active mental outlook for budding possibilities, so that when the critical moment arrives and the new channel presents itself, you will step into it with your mind fully prepared for the undertaking, and with that intelligence and foresight which is born of mental discipline. Whatever your task may be, concentrate your whole mind upon it, throw into it all the energy of which you are capable. The faultless completion of small tasks leads inevitably to larger tasks. See to it that you rise by steadily climbing, and you will never fall, and herein lies the secret of true power. Learn, by consistent practice, how to husband your resources, and to concentrate them, at any moment, upon a given point. The foolish waste all their mental and spiritual energy in frivolity, foolish chatter, or selfish argument, not to mention wasteful physical excesses. If you would acquire overcoming power, you must cultivate poise and passivity. You must be able to stand alone. All power is associated with immovability. The mountain, the massive rock, the storm-tried oak, all speak to us of power because of their combined solitary grandeur and defiant fixity, while the shifting sand, the yielding twig, and the wavering reed speak to us of weakness, because they are movable and non-resistant, and are utterly useless when detached from their fellows. He is the man of power, who when all his fellows are swayed by some emotion or passion, remains calm and unmoved. He only is fitted to command and control, who has succeeded in commanding and controlling himself. The hysterical, the fearful, the thoughtless and frivolous, let such seek company, for they will fall for lack of support, but the calm, the fearless, the thoughtful, and let such seek the solitude of the forest, the desert, and the mountain top, and to their power more power will be added, and they will more and more successfully stem the psychic currents and whirlpools which engulf mankind. Passion is not power, it is the abuse of power. The dispersion of power. Passion is like a furious storm which beats fiercely and wildly upon the embattled rock, while its power is like the rock itself, which remains silent and unmoved through it all. 
That was a manifestation of true power when Martin Luther, wearied with the persuasions of his fearful friends, who were doubtful as to his safety should he go to Worms, replied, If there were as many devils in Worms as there are tiles on the housetops, I would go. And when Benjamin Disraeli broke down in his first parliamentary speech and brought upon himself the derision of the house, that was an exhibition of germinal power when he exclaimed, The day will come when you will consider it an honor to listen to me. When that young man whom I knew, passing through continual reverses and misfortunes, was mocked by his friends and told to desist from further effort, and he replied, The time is not far distant when you will marvel at my good fortune and success. He showed that he possessed of that silent and irresistible power which has taken him over innumerable difficulties and crowned his life with success. If you have not this power, you may acquire it by practice, and the beginning of power is likewise the beginning of wisdom. You must commence by overcoming those purposeless trivialities to which you have hitherto been a willing victim. Boisterous and uncontrolled laughter slander and idle talk, and joking merely to raise a laugh, all these things must be put on one side, as so much waste of valuable energy. St. Paul never showed his wondrous insight into the hidden laws of human progress to greater advantage than when he warned the Ephesians against foolish talking and jesting, which is not convenient, for to dwell habitually in such practices is to destroy all spiritual power in life. As you succeed in rendering yourself impervious to such mental dissipations, you will begin to understand what true power is, and you will then commence to grapple with the more powerful desires and appetites which hold your soul in bondage, and bar the way to power, and your further progress will then be made clear. Above all, be of single aim, have a legitimate and useful purpose, and devote yourself unreservedly to it. Let nothing draw you aside. Remember that the double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. Be eager to learn, but slow to beg. Have a thorough understanding of your work, and let it be your own, and as you proceed, ever following the inward guide, the infallible voice, you will pass on from victory to victory, and will rise step by step to higher resting places, and your ever-broadening outlook will gradually reveal to you the essential beauty and purpose of life. Self-purified, health will be yours. Faith protected, success will be yours. Self-governed, power will be yours, and all that you do will prosper, for ceasing to be a disjointed unit self-enslaved, you will be in harmony with the great law, working no longer against but with the universal life, the eternal good. And what health you gain it will remain with you, what success you achieve will be beyond all human computation and will never pass away, and what influence and power you wield will continue to increase throughout the ages for it will be a part of that unchangeable principle which supports the universe. This, then, is the secret of health, a pure heart and a well-ordered mind. This is the secret of success, an unfaltering faith and a wisely directed purpose, and to rein in, with unfaltering will, the dark steed of desire. This is the secret of power. All ways are waiting for my feet to tread the light and dark, the living and the dead, the broad and narrow way, the high and low, the good and bad, and with quick step or slow. I now may enter any way I will, and find by walking which is good, which ill. And all good things my wandering feet await, if I but come with my vow inviolate. Unto the narrow, high and holy way, of heart-born purity, and therein stay. Walking, secure from him who taunts and scorns, to flowery meads across the path of thorns. And I may stand where health, success, and power await my coming, 
if each fleeting hour I cling to love and patience, and abide with stainlessness, and never step aside from high integrity, so shall I see, at last, the land of immortality. And I may seek and find, I may achieve, I may not claim, but losing, may retrieve. The law bends not for me, but I must bend unto the law, if I would reach the end of my afflictions, if I would restore my soul to light and life, and weep no more. Not mine the arrogant and selfish claim, to all good things be mine the lowly aim, to seek and find, to know and comprehend, and wisdom ward, all holy footsteps wend. Nothing is mine to claim or to command, but all is mine to know and understand. End of chapter 5 Recording by Andrea Fiore Chapter 6 of The Path of Prosperity This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Andrea Fiore The Path of Prosperity by James Allen Chapter 6 The Secret of Abounding Happiness Great is the thirst for happiness, and equally great is the lack of happiness. The majority of the poor long for riches, believing that their possession would bring them supreme and lasting happiness. Many who are rich, having gratified every desire and whim, suffer from ennui and repletion, and are farther from the possession of happiness even than the very poor. If we reflect upon this state of things, it will ultimately lead us to a knowledge of the all-important truth, that happiness is not derived from mere outward possessions, nor misery from the lack of them. For if this were so, we should find the poor always miserable, and the rich always happy, whereas the reverse is frequently the case. Some of the most wretched people whom I have known were those who were surrounded with riches and luxury, while as some of the brightest and happiest people I have met were possessed of only the barest necessities of life. Many men who have accumulated riches have confessed that the selfish gratification which followed the acquisition of riches has robbed life of its sweetness, and that they were never so happy as when they were poor. What then is happiness, and how is it to be secured? Is it a figment, a delusion, and is suffering alone perennial? We shall find, after earnest observation and reflection, that all, except those who have entered the way of wisdom, believe that happiness is only to be obtained by the gratification of desire. It is this belief, rooted in the soil of ignorance, and continually watered by selfish cravings, that is the cause of all the misery in the world. And I do not limit the word desire to the grosser animal cravings, it extends to the higher psychic realm, where far more powerful, subtle, and insidious cravings hold in bondage the intellectual and refined, depriving them of all that beauty, harmony, and purity of soul whose expression is happiness. Most people will admit that selfishness is the cause of all the unhappiness in the world, but they fall under the soul-destroying delusion that it is somebody else's selfishness and not their own. When you are willing to admit that all your unhappiness is the result of your own selfishness, you will not be far from the gates of paradise, but so long as you are convinced that it is the selfishness of others that is robbing you of joy, so long will you remain a prisoner in your own self-created purgatory. Happiness is that inward state of perfect satisfaction which is joy and peace, and from which all desire is eliminated. The satisfaction which results from gratified desire is brief and illusionary, and is always followed by an increased demand for gratification. Desire is as insatiable as the ocean, and clamors louder and louder as its demands are attended to. It claims ever-increasing service from its deluded devotees, until at last they are struck down with physical or mental anguish, and are hurled into the purifying fires of suffering. 
Desire is the reign of hell, and all torments are centered there. The giving up of desire is the realization of heaven, and all delights await the pilgrim there. I sent my soul through the invisible, some letter of that afterlife to spell, and by and by my soul returned to me, and whispered, I myself am heaven and hell. Heaven and hell are inward states. Sink into self and all its gratifications, and you sink into hell. Rise above self into that state of consciousness, which is the utter denial and forgetfulness of self, and you enter heaven. Self is blind, without judgment, not possessed of true knowledge, and always leads to suffering. Correct perception, unbiased judgment, and true knowledge belong only to the divine state. And only in so far as you realize this divine consciousness can you know what real happiness is. So long as you persist in selfishly seeking for your own personal happiness, so long will happiness elude you, and you will be sowing the seeds of wretchedness. In so far as you succeed in losing yourself in the service of others, in that measure will happiness come to you, and you will reap a harvest of bliss. It is in loving, not in being loved, the heart is blessed. It is in giving, not in seeking gifts, we find our quest. Whatever be thy longing or thy need, that do thou give, so shall thy soul be fed, and thou indeed shalt truly live. Cling to self and you cling to sorrow. Relinquish self and you enter into peace. To seek selfishly is not only to lose happiness, but even that which we believe to be the source of happiness. See how the glutton is continually looking about for a new delicacy wherewith to stimulate his deadened appetite, and how bloated, burdened, and diseased scarcely any food at last is eaten with pleasure. Whereas he who has mastered his appetite, and not only does not seek, but never thinks of gustatory pleasure, finds delight in the most frugal meal. The angel form of happiness, which men, looking through the eyes of self, imagine they see in gratified desire, when clasped, is always found to be the skeleton of misery. Truly, he that seeketh his life shall lose it, and he that loseth his life shall find it. Abiding happiness will come to you when, ceasing to selfishly cling, you are willing to give up. When you are willing to lose, unreservably, that impermanent thing which is so dear to you, and which whether you cling to it or not, will one day be snatched from you, then you will find that that which seemed to you like a painful loss, turns out to be a supreme gain. To give up in order to gain, then this there is no greater delusion, nor no more prolific source of misery. But to be willing to yield up and to suffer loss, this is indeed the way of life. How is it possible to find real happiness by centering ourselves in those things which, by their very nature, must pass away? Abiding in real happiness can only be found by centering ourselves in that which is permanent. Rise, therefore, above the clinging to and the craving for impermanent things, and you will then enter into a consciousness of the eternal. And as rising above self, and by growing more and more into the spirit of purity, self-sacrifice, and universal love, you become centered in that consciousness. You will realize that happiness, which has no reaction, and which can never be taken from you. The heart that has reached utter self-forgetfulness in its love for others has not only become possessed of the highest happiness, but has entered into immortality, for it has realized the divine. Look back upon your life, and you will find that the moments of supremest happiness were those in which you uttered some word or performed some act of compassion or self-denying love. Spiritually, Happiness and harmony are synonymous. Harmony is one phase of the great law whose spiritual expression is love. 
all selfishness is discord, and to be selfish is to be out of harmony with the divine order. As we realize that all-embracing love, which is the negation of self, we put ourselves in harmony with the divine music, the universal song, and that ineffable melody, which is true happiness, becomes our own. Men and women are rushing hither and thither in the blind search for happiness, and cannot find it, nor ever will, until they recognize that happiness is already within them and round about them, filling the universe, and that they, in their selfish searching, are shutting themselves out from it. I followed happiness to make her mine, past towering oak and swinging ivy vine. She fled, I chased, o'er slanting hill and dale, o'er fields and meadows, in the purpling vale. Pursuing rapidly, o'er dashing stream, I scaled the dizzy cliffs where eagles scream, I traversed swiftly every land and em, but always happiness eluded me. Exhausted, feigning, I pursued no more, but sank to rest upon a barren shore. One came and asked for food, and one for alms. I placed the bread and gold in bony palms. One came for sympathy, and one for rest. I shared with every needy one my best. When, lo, sweet happiness, with form divine, stood by me, whispering softly, I am thine. These beautiful lines of Burley's express the secret of all abounding happiness. Sacrifice the personal and transient, and you rise at once into the impersonal and permanent. Give up that narrow cramped self that seeks to render all things subservient to its own petty interests and you will enter into the company of the angels, into the very heart and essence of universal love. Forget yourself entirely in the sorrows of others, and in ministering to others, and divine happiness will emancipate you from all sorrow and suffering. Take the first step with a good thought, the second with a good word, the third with a good deed. I entered paradise and you may also enter into paradise by pursuing the same course. It is not beyond, it is here. It is realized only by the unselfish. It is known in its fullness only to the pure in heart. If you have not realized this unbounded happiness, you may begin to actualize it by ever holding before you the lofty ideal of unselfish love and aspiring towards it. Aspiration or prayer is desire turned upward. It is the soul turning toward its divine source, where alone permanent satisfaction can be found. By aspiration, the destructive forces of desire are transmuted into divine and all-preserving energy. To aspire is to make an effort to shake off the trammels of desire. It is the prodigal made wise by loneliness and suffering returning to his father's mansion. As you rise above the sword itself, as you break, one after another, the chains that bind you, you will realize the joy of giving, as distinguished from the misery of grasping, giving of your substance, giving of your intellect, giving of the love and light that is growing within you. You will then understand what it is indeed, more blessed to give than to receive. But the giving must be of the heart, without any taint of self, without desire for reward. The gift of pure love is always attended with bliss. If after you have given, you are wounded because you are not thanked or flattered, or your name put in the paper, know then that your gift was prompted by vanity and not by love, and you were merely giving in order to get, were not really giving, but grasping. Lose yourself in the welfare of others. Forget yourself in all that you do. This is the secret of unbounding happiness. Ever be on the watch to guard against selfishness, and learn faithfully the divine lessons of inward sacrifice. So shall you climb the highest heights of happiness, and shall remain in the never-clouded sunshine of universal joy. 
clothed in the shining garment of immortality? Are you searching for the happiness that does not fade away? Are you looking for the joy that lives and leaves no grievous day? Are you panting for the water brooks of love and life and peace? Then let all dark desires depart and selfish seeking cease. Are you lingering the paths of pain, grief haunted, stricken sore? Are you wandering in the ways that wound your weary feet the more? Are you sighing for the resting place where tears and sorrows cease? Then sacrifice your selfish heart and find the heart of peace. End of chapter 6 Recording by Andrea Fiore Chapter 7 of The Path of Prosperity This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Andrea Fiore the Path of Prosperity by James Allen Chapter 7 The Realization of Prosperity It is granted only to the heart that abounds with integrity, trust, generosity, and love to realize true prosperity. The heart that is not possessed of these qualities cannot know prosperity, for prosperity, like happiness, is not an outward possession but in inward realization. The greedy man may become a millionaire, but he will always be wretched and mean and poor, and will even consider himself outwardly poor, so long as there is a man in the world who is richer than himself, while as the upright, the open-handed and loving, will realize a full and rich prosperity, even though their outward possessions may be small. He is poor who is dissatisfied, he is rich who is contented with what he has, and he is richer who is generous with what he has. When we contemplate the fact that the universe is abounding in all good things, material as well as spiritual, and compare it with man's blind eagerness to secure a few gold coins or a few acres of dirt, it is then that we realize how dark and ignorant selfishness is. It is then that we know that self-seeking is self-destruction. Nature gives all without reservation and loses nothing. Man, grasping all, loses everything. If you would realize true prosperity, do not settle down, as many have done, into the belief that if you do right, everything will go wrong. Do not allow the word competition to shake your faith in the supremacy of righteousness. I care not what men may say about the laws of competition, for do I not know the unchangeable law which shall one day put them all to rout, and which puts them to rout even now in the heart and life of the righteous man? And knowing this law, I can contemplate all dishonesty with undisturbed repose for I know where certain destruction awaits it. Under all circumstances, do that which you believe to be right, and trust the law, trust the divine power that is eminent in the universe, and it will never desert you, and you will always be protected. By such a trust all your losses will be converted into gains, and all curses which threaten will be transmuted into blessings. Never let go of integrity, generosity and love, for these coupled with energy will lift you into the truly prosperous state. Do not believe the world when it tells you that you must attend to number one first and to others afterwards. To do this is not to think of others at all, but only of one's own comforts. To those who practice this, the day will come when they will be deserted by all, and when they cry out in their loneliness and anguish, there will be no one to hear and help them. To consider oneself before all others is to cramp and warp and hinder every noble and divine impulse. Let your soul expand. Let your heart reach out to others in loving and generous warmth, and great and lasting will be your joy, and all prosperity will come to you. Those who have wandered from the highway of righteousness guard themselves against competition. 
those who always pursue the right, need not to trouble about such defense. This is no empty statement. There are men today who, by the power of integrity and faith, have defied all competition, and who, without swerving in the least from their methods, when competed with, have risen steadily into prosperity, whilst those who try to undermine them have fallen back defeated. To possess those inward qualities which constitute goodness is to be armored against all the powers of evil, and to be doubly protected in every time of trial, and to build oneself up in those qualities is to build up a success which cannot be shaken, and to enter into a prosperity which will endure forever. The white robe of the heart invisible is stained with sin and sorrow, grief and pain, and all repentant pools and springs of prayer shall not avail to wash it white again. While in the path of ignorance I walk, the stains of error will not cease to cling. Defilements mark the crooked path of self, where anguish lurks and disappointments sting. Knowledge and wisdom only can avail to purify and make my garment clean. For therein lie love's waters, therein rest peace undisturbed, eternal, and serene. Sin and repentance is the path of pain. Knowledge and wisdom is the path of peace. By the near way of practice I will find where bliss begins, how pains and sorrows cease. Self shall depart, and truth shall take its place. The changeless one, the indivisible, shall take up his abode in me, and cleanse the white robe of the heart invisible. End of chapter 7 Recording by Andrea Fiore End of the Path of Prosperity by James Allen Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun? Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.